You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Yeah. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Eel, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generational leaders and you already know today i got a show for you hey before we begin though i just gotta do a couple housekeeping things one please do keep me in your prayers man we searching for the car as i let y'all know last episode um earlier this month car was totaled in a complete accident uh, we were able to um get things worked out man but i gotta get another car so i gotta start this whole journey on again man so please keep me in prayers on that um, as well as just a safe recovery, man. I, I this this last month, I feel like I've been on vacation the whole dang month, and uh, I need to get back in the gym. And my doctor said I can't I can't lift or work out for the next three to six weeks or until I'm fully healed. And I'm like, goodness gracious, this is not a good look. So I'm just stuck in here drinking a gallon of water a day and taking these pills, man. So. Uh, <laughs> But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a week. It's been a uh, whirlwind of a summer, but it's been a great summer, and I hope my summer's been well for you as well. Well for you as well. What in the world? <laughs> but um, but yeah, as we close this week too, keep on your radar. Keep on your radar. I got some big, big, big upcoming announcements. And um, I'm just generally excited for the for the remainder of the year, man. We got some great stuff popping off. We got some great guests. I know today we have a phenomenal guest, but I will say this: it's been three back to back to back male guests. This won't happen again this season. I got a crazy lineup of women, um, entrepreneurs, trailblazers, teachers, change agents, scientists that are about to come and blow your mind. So. Don't think it's like that because usually it's like 70% uh, women and like 30% male. But I know I'm looking, that's like, yo, we got back to back to back. But don't worry, I got I got, I got, got it coming. I got it coming for y'all, man. So y'all stay tuned and enjoy episode three of season five of the Minority Trailblazer podcast. I am always get particularly excited when I get a chance to, to, to showcase episodes when I'm interviewing people that I call family, I call brothers, man. And today is no, no different, man. And I'm not just bringing them on because he's an Aggie alum. I'm not just bringing them on because he's a, a brother of Alpha for Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. I'm not just bringing him on because he's my dog. I'm bringing him on because he's going to add a lot of value have a lot of interesting stories and i'm just excited man so i'm gonna read a snippet 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 of his bio and i'm gonna slow down 
And then we're going to jump into the show. So he currently serves as the chief financial officer of St. Hope. He began his career in the private sector in General Electric's financial management program, where he had the opportunity to hold a variety of financial analyst roles across three different business units and learn accounting, finance, and strategy concepts directly from GE CFOs. He then accepted a management consulting role with Ernst & Young's finance transformation practice, where he focused on finance process improvements, ERP implementations, and business development. After gaining extensive experience in finance, operations, and information technology in the private sector, he decided to change the directory and pursue his passion for education and honest politics. So he accepted a role with Leadership for Educational Equity as the Director of Strategy, focusing on financial management, performance management, member outreach, and crafting the social media marketing campaign strategy. Uh, you can tell it's a nonprofit because it's like four distinct different roles. Uh, after spending 10 years on the East Coast, he decided it was time to pursue the work he is so passionate about back home in Sacramento, which led to St. Hope. Over the course of last year, he transformed St. Hope's finance function through the implementation of NetSuite, ERP, and payroll, finance process redesign, and hired a completely new team. Over the next six months, he will oversee the implementation of Sweet People, lead the merge of St. Ho's three entities, the public schools, academy, and the development company, and will begin to focus on driving profitable growth and job creation within St. Hope's economic development efforts. He earned his undergraduate degree in finance from North Carolina A&T State University and is a 2018 Master's of Public Administration candidate at the University of Southern California. So without further ado, I know that was a lot in the bio, I would like to introduce my dog, my brother, Julian Love, to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. What up, G? What up, G? I'm super excited to be here. It's been a long time. I've been watching you do these podcasts, so I'm excited. Uh, finally join you on one of these. Hey, man, I'm excited to have you on. And looking, reading by this bio, man, you sound like a 48-year-old executive with like two kids <laughs> that merged like three or four companies. I'm like, yo, you got so much knowledge. You done transform all these systems. You done did all this other stuff. Like, yo, is Judy really this deep? I, I did a few things, but you also <laughs> made it sound real good. <laughs> but, yo, we're just going to jump right into it. But as always, and I don't know if I forewarned you, but we always start to show off with a quote. And a story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life. Yeah, I'm going to say, um, you, you didn't prep me for this question. <laughs> I think a quote that I've been living by for a long time is, to who much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. And I, I just felt, even, even at a young age, I always felt blessed on everything God's given me, everything my family's given me. So I've always felt a charge uh, to do something really big with my life and impact a lot of people with my life. And so that means every day locking in and, and working harder. Um, and then just being really critical about myself and how I can grow and have that impact that I want to have. Bet you opened the Pandora's gate, man. What's the what's the thing over the last couple of months you've been really critical about yourself as far as in growing? I think, um, you know, throughout my career, I've done a lot of different things um, and learned from a lot of really smart people. And so over the last six months, I've just been really focusing on, you know, how am I growing right now? Um, what, how do I need to kind of create different pathways for myself to grow? Because sometimes it always doesn't just come to you. Sometimes you got to create it. Mm. And so that's one of the things. And the other thing is just discipline and sticking with something. So in my you know career, in my life, I start things a lot of times and I always don't follow through. So right now I'm in a season of you know, when I start something, if I have a, if I if I think of a good play and I draw up a good play, I gotta run that play mm-hmm. and then keep running it till I perfect it. So, um, you know, it really sticks. Mm, I like that. It's kind of similar. If you think from a sports analogy, 
the difference, and I'm not, this is this is really bland, so I know my sports people are like, nah, G, for real. But I feel like the difference between like a good coach and a bad coach is not as big a difference as people may think. And a lot of times the bad coaches, they 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 go, they run a play or they stick with rotation and then they scrap it. And then the good coaches, they continue to run the play, maybe make some tweaks, but they don't just throw the whole thing over. And I think a yep. lot of, and you hit on the head right there. And I, I think a lot of people on this podcast, once we jump into it, is going to resonate because I know so many people that are listening right now that have started something, they stop, right? Yep. And they see their friends, they, they kept going, or people in that space, they kept going, and like, dang, I could have been doing this. Or for those people, and I think you said something critical, and, I, I, and we're going to definitely expound upon that later in the show. As far as your growth, the areas you have to grow in don't automatically just come to you. No. And sometimes you really have to search it. And that's that's the hard part because who <clears> wants to search and search for something they they need to actually work in and grow in? Like, that's tough. Yeah. And I think it's about being honest with yourself and then also just recognizing sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to sit in that and marinate in that and work through that and embrace that. Uh, you know that that beauty and the struggle concept, really just living that out. That sounds good, but how do you how do you still manifest a positive mindset when it's like okay, I gotta be uncomfortable? It's like, dang, what if I'm uncomfortable for a month, two months, three months? Oh, it's been a whole year. I'm still uncomfortable. Like, how do you continue to manifest uh, a somewhat of a positive mentality on that though? That's a that's a good question, um, and I I think there's two sides to it. I think one side is understanding. Okay, is this uncomfort here because I'm growing? Um, and I think in, in those instances, you're going to have little wins on a day to day. You're going to see a little bit of progress. And I think it's just recognizing that progress and recognizing you meeting those many milestones within that uncomfort um, that keep me in a positive mindset. Mm, I think on the flip side, though, is sometimes. You know, you might be in an uncomfortable situation. You might be in a situation where you can't grow and you, you've hit the ceiling wherever you're at. And then it's on you to have that courage uh, and that belief in self to just step out and do something different and find a different pathway for yourself. And I think, you know, that's where it gets kind of tough is determining, OK, is this is this uncomfortable because I'm growing or is this uncomfortable because I've hit my ceiling and I can't grow and I need to do something else? Mm, wow. Uh, the, the the second thing you said that stands alone so definitely that's that's deep and I, I love what you said in the beginning the two things I want to draw it out is one recognizing progress and I think as humans sometimes it's hard for us to even take a step back and recognize that like we can recognize what we're not good at we can recognize all these things but recognizing progress is a it's a skill set and I think that's something growing over time so I like that as well as and I tell everybody this and I, I it's hard I got to tell myself this is this setting those mini goals not 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 the huge ones like those many things and that can kind of keep it up but before we just jump into all this uh, stuff man i know i read a lot of great stuff on the bio as far as being director of strategies organizations um being cfo and it's like yo you're not even 30 but let's take it back man i always start to show off with with the past the origin story man so can you share with our audience a little bit about your background and who you are before before ant before st hope ge consulting all that stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up in Sacramento, California <clears throat> with, with my mom, my dad and my brother. And, you know, just thinking about growing up, the biggest the biggest thing that kind of built the foundation of who I am is, you know, my dad is a big competitor. So he always instilled in that that in me at, at a young age. Um, I remember one time a lot of people don't know this about me, but I used to play tennis. I was <laughs> I was a little phenom like Venus and Serena, me and my brother before they did it. 
uh, I ended up quitting because I wanted to play basketball. But I was I was playing. I was playing my friend. I was playing my friend. My friend, his dad was a tennis pro, so of course he's supposed to be better than me. But we're on the court, and I was working it. I was working him in this big tournament, and he was getting real down on himself. He was getting real sad, and he was my friend, so I felt bad for him. I started letting him win. Um, and in tennis, you get the momentum, you can kind of take a game over. So he ended up winning the match. After, my dad was like, I'm probably like nine years old at this time. Um, my dad was like, what happened out there? You, you you gave it up. I was like, man, I felt bad for him. So he, he was sad. So I let him, I let him, you know, get a few points. He was like, man, don't you ever do that again. When you got somebody down, you need to put your boot on their neck and, and finish. You need to have the appetite. <laughs> You're dad <That's> real. Okay. <laughs> I never... I never forgot that. And he tried to instill that same kind of mentality in me and my brother. And, you know, whether it was sports, whether it was cleaning your room, whether it was school, especially school. And so that's kind of how, you know, the foundation of who I am got built is just, you know, through competition and always giving it everything you have. Mm. That's real. So how do you. Because when you, you mentioned school and all these other aspects, like outside of sports, how can you still have that mentality without being like this cutthroat, shady, backroom type of guy? Yeah, I, I think for me, once I got in the work world at GE, I realized, you know, it's, it's easier because you're kind of competing with yourself. Mm. Uh, you can really like you can go in the office and if you lock in and just try and get better and learn from everything your manager may be telling you and you're kind of just picking up on how you can get better, you can stay in that office until 9 o'clock or however late you got to work to perfect whatever you're doing. And you can have kind of like as many shots. In a basketball game, you have one game. You have those well, 32 minutes or however many minutes to make shots, play good defense, whatever. And you may, you may mess it up. So you don't have that much time. But when you start working, you got a lot of time where other people are chilling and relaxing to really hone your craft and really get, get, get really good, whatever you're trying to do. And so I, I think it's just the same mentality, but I found it to be almost easier uh, in the work world. Mm, I like that. So it brings up a point of uh, resources versus responsibility. And when you, when you enter a job and it doesn't even have to be a corporate high paying job, but any job, a lot of people look at the resources that come with it as far as the pay or maybe maybe the time off, et cetera, instead of responsibility at the job of kind of growing and getting better. And I know people, when they get to sign the bonus, they get their first check, the first job is like, boom, now I'm making 60 grand a year. I can get this car, get this. But then the responsibility of not only just doing your job, but being great at your job, focusing on that thing, figuring out how the politics of it, really putting that time in. That's not always a clear translation. So how do you how do you set aside the two as far as in your own life? Okay, some of the resources that having these type of roles have allowed you to have, but also that responsibility that you still got it. Because I mean, everybody twenty nine ain't trying to focus on continue to grow. Like let's be real, everybody after twenty one or seventeen or eighteen ain't fully focused on growing. So how do you still keep that same balance? Yeah, for me, you know. For these first however many years of my career, I focus mainly on the growth, mainly on the growth aspect. Um, <clears throat> so when I worked at Ernst & Young, I was making a pretty little penny. Uh, but I decided to go take a job in leadership or educational equity and take uh, like a 30 percent pay cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a that's a lot of money, especially in New York. <laughs> I, I, I did in, in New York, but I did it in pursuit of growth and pursuit of growth in the area I wanted to grow in. And, and that's really how I've thought about my career kind of for the last five years. 
Uh, I am going to flip the switch pretty soon here and kind of do both because I think, you know, it does take capital to do a lot of the things that I want to do. Um, but that's something I've always kind of, you know, I wouldn't even say balance. I probably lean more towards the side of I want to take whatever role is going to give me as much growth as I can, because I know if you, if you get a lot of growth in these early phases of your career um, later on, you know, the resources uh, that salary, that, that business you can build, it, it, it's going to be there if you have the skills and the mindsets necessary to be successful. And so I think in the long run, you know, focusing on that growth more than that, the resources of the salary uh, is going to pay dividends, or at least I'm hoping so. It is kind of easy. There has been times where I've been like, man, you are tripping. If you would have stayed at EY, you could be making so-and-so. But uh, you know, it's just about you know still believing in yourself and, and and believing in the decisions you made if they were made with the right mindset. Mm, man, that's there's a lot to unpack on that, but I'm just gonna leave that there for right now. Uh, before we get into like okay, the corporate side of you, how did you how did you even when you were growing up? And there's two questions I want to ask before we move on. Who did you who did you look up to, man? And what did you want to be early on in life? Yeah, so when you're a kid, you kind of only you know, know what you're exposed to. And so I looked up to my dad. My dad was a fire captain, but he also invested in real estate. And so I didn't want to be in the fire service. But uh, the real estate thing really interests me for whatever reason. I was kind of interested in business. I don't know why. And so I made the decision that I wanted to be, I wanted to build a billion dollar real estate development company from the ground up. Mm. And, and I went and talked. They had, my, my parents hooked me up with a guy uh, named Scott Syfax, who did real estate development in Sacramento. They went to high school with him. So I went in his office and I talked to him and I told him what I want to do. And he said, you know what? Go get a degree in finance. If you get a degree in finance, you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. Um, then actually after, so after my first or second year or whatever, I came back and talked to him. I said, hey, man, I want to come work for you. He said, no, don't come work for me. You need to go work for one of the biggest and best companies. Really, you know, cut your teeth get your foundation correct, and then you can come back and work, you know, in a small operation like mine. And I think, um, you know, that was really good advice. Man, that's phenomenal advice. And speaking of uh, going to get your degree, how did you end up or even find out about North Carolina A&T all the way from Sacramento? Yeah, so a guy by the name of Dr. Alan Rowe has a program in Sacramento uh, where he takes kids from here on black college tours. Um, they do black college fairs also here in Sacramento. So I went on a black college tour Saw all the colleges up and down the East Coast. Uh, my number one and number two was, was well, really in the top three was Howard, Clark, and A&T. I actually had a cousin uh, who went to A&T right ahead of me. Um, Howard was just too expensive. You guys know how that goes. Mm -hmm. uh, Clark, I think they, they didn't have as strong of a business program as A&T. And I wanted to tour down to Clark with my parents as well. My dad was like, man, there's too many women on this campus. You can't go here. <laughs> what? <laughs> A&T, they wasn't? There was more on Clark than A&T? I, I don't think he really stepped on A&T. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he didn't do the full exploration. But, um, yeah. So, but, yeah, I went to A&T. I, I, I felt the vibe. Uh, I loved the campus. First, first accounting program to be accredited. First um, HBCU accounting program to be accredited, and they still had that same dean. So it, it, it just, and I had family there already. And it just felt right. Man, that's that's crazy. And I know I don't want to spend too much time on college because I know everybody listening to this podcast has heard all the stories at NT. They're probably like another Aggie, but you always know I'm <laughs> always going to show love to the Aggies. But if you had to sum up, definitely coming from the West Coast. 
coming all the way to A&T to Greensboro, that is, like, how was your experience there, man? And um, how would you sum it up in, like, in a story or in some words? Like, how would you sum up your experience? Man, I don't know if I could sum it up in one, <laughs> or in one set of words, but I will say A&T, you know, I played sports. That's where I put, put most of my energy in high school. But I got to A&T and I had to figure out what to do with all this extra energy. And so I just kind of poured it into like organizations and organizing and creating things. And so that went from, from stuff in student government where I have a good story where I learned a lot about myself and life through that. Uh, that went to, to pledging the fraternity, building Join Me Entertainment with yep. you. <laughs> working on students for Obama, which was amazing. And so I just kind of grew a passion just for kind of creating things and just taking an idea and, and watching it come to life and making it come to life. And so, and, and come on, the people that I was around there, it, it was just phenomenal. And the network I have leaving there is it, amazing. It's something you can't even put into words that HBCU experience and doing that HBCU experience at A&T was just, man, a very special time in my life. And, and, made a lot of who i am today man that's that's huge man and, and most people don't know that me and Jew started like joining me in the same i know a lot of it gets get credited because i know that's a big part of my my raising my upbringing and my downfall a lot of other stuff but uh yeah me and Jew, and i don't i i don't even know what i don't know what i don't want to take the podcast left <laughs> as far as how we even started it was a fun Bro, great I, experience I, 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 this is what happened. We were both we both had internships at GE. Yep. In Atlanta, I was in Cleveland, so we had some change in our pocket. We had a little money. Uh huh. Um, and you know, we thought, well, what can we do with this money? So we just we decided to build, join me, entertainment, <laughs> shake up the game a little bit. Uh, you know, we made a lot of young boy, you know, moves at that time, but it was it was, it was good. It was definitely a huge learning experience. Yeah, nah, it was a huge, huge learning experience, man. But question two, how did you even figure out about the internship with General Electric or internships in general? Because I tell all people all the time, you were the guy that got me, plugged me into GE because I didn't know anything about internships. And you plugged me into the lady. I forgot her name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot her name, too. Sorry, oh, it might have been. But so really, I was close with Dean Craig. Somehow mm-hmm. I close with Dean Craig in the dean's office. And, you know, I had been going to college fairs dressing crazy. I remember I was wearing like, Sperry's and, like, some khakis and a shirt straight out the packet with the creases still in it. Dude really told me, like, bro, you got to iron your shirt before you come to these. I'm like, okay, bet. But um, either way, Dean Craig one day called me, and he was like, put a suit on and come to the office. I need you to talk to this woman. Um, and so I went, and he just hooked me up with that initial interview and then, you know, from there, it just kind of had the next interview and got the job. So it was, it was essentially just from, you know, coming in, getting good grades, somehow getting myself in front of Dean Craig and building that relationship where he just kind of just tapped me in. And I can't think of enough for that. Yeah, that's huge. And I, I rolled your coattails all the way to the next interview. Like, yeah, Julian Love told me all about the program with the whoop, got in that thing. <laughs> I thought I banged it out, and then shoot, FNP left AT for like three years. I thought, <laughs> you was a renegade, bro. You was doing some renegade things that summer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I, I, I emailed freaking Jeffrey in Melt, bro. Son, bro, you was was a wild boy, dog. <laughs> oh, uh, man, I think I, I did. All right I my job, but I just I didn't understand the pop. I just didn't understand. It was my first go around. I didn't. I didn't. I, no, I'm not gonna say I didn't understand. I didn't ask enough of the right questions. I don't know. 
I made some crazy decisions, but that's neither here nor there, man. Shout out to General Electric, man. They, 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 they doing their thing. Shout out to GE, man. But yo, speaking of GE, man, cause we, as we transition into the, the, the corporate, now I'm not going to say the corporate, but the growing and foundational aspect of, of, of your life outside of like, you're growing up and, um, young adult, I mean, young, young boyhood, whatever, because a lot of times, and even myself, and I, I think this is critical. That's why I really want to have you on this show because uh, some of us, we think of entrepreneurship because uh, I know a lot of, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast, but we, we, we have a one track mind when it comes to entrepreneurship sometimes. Like, okay, these are people that started at 1920. These are people that, okay, they quit their, at that one, two years of corporate, they quit the job, whatever. And I think if, and honestly, even myself, and I can't go back and change the time, but a lot of us, if we really just looked at some of the opportunities we have right now and really, like you said, focus on areas we need to grow in, kind of skin our teeth on some certain things, I think we'd be probably a lot better off when we jumped into entrepreneurship or doing other things. And that's why I want to come have you on the show to kind of just showcase and share some of the things you learn while working for the GEs, the consulting companies, um, and all these other companies having some pretty robust positions because I think there's a lot to be learned from that. So let's start with GE, man. You're in the leadership development program. Sure. What were some of the challenges and the real life lessons that you faced? And you can, I know I, I said a lot, so you can jump in where you want. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think it was just learning how to work and learning how to be focused and learning how to to prioritize. Um, those are kind of the soft things I learned. But in terms of like, you know, what you learn <clears throat> working for a corporation, like these people have been in business for you know almost a hundred years mm-hmm. um, and been competing and winning for almost a hundred years. So to be able to step in a place like that, and even some of the younger companies who are dominating right now, but if you can step in somewhere. And, and and learn from people who are experts in this field and, and much more wise than you um, and have the opportunity to learn many different things. That's only going to help you so much down the line when you decide to, to start your own thing. Um, and you have that you have the airspace to fail and still get that nice paycheck or still get that paycheck um, and have somebody correct you and told you tell you why you failed and what you need to do next time and how you can be better for next time. And so I think for me, um, spending those two years at General Electric working in four different jobs or four different six month rotations, I was able to, you know, come into a job, spend three months learning, three months mastering it and then move on to the next thing. Learning from from GE executives who were who were the best in the world at what they do um, just gave me a super solid foundation. Um, And for me, specifically accounting, finance strategy, supply chain, and, and, and IT. And so it, it's really an experience for me that's second to none. And I feel like these first kind of, you know, 10 years of my career, is just about me building up, you know, creating a monster, creating a beast. And then, you know, the story that's going to be told after that, we'll see. I'm going to try and make it a good one. Amen. But when you, if you jump back into things you learned, you said a lot of good things there, but concretely, like what type of skills though? Because I, I I hear people all the time say I learned these skills and okay, but concretely, like what does that look like in a real business sense? If you if you had to do like a, a ratio, so say for instance, your your first year at General Electric, you had two different rotations and maybe it was a accounting or IT. Concretely, like what was what type of stuff were you learning? I mean, <clears throat> concretely, uh, a few things. Just how how the financial statements work. Um, I think, you know, going in there and having to make journal entries, um, having to audit certain accounts, 
uh, having to create financial statements. Like that's one thing, just understanding how that income statement and that balance sheet works in an intimate way. Um, that, that means a lot when you're running your own business. So then now, and then looking at it like a financial statement, looking at an income statement for a month or a quarter or a year to date or the entire year, uh, and being able to draw insights of what's happening in that business. Um, do you have an issue with variable costs or do you have an issue with your base costs? Do you have an issue with sales growth or do you have an issue with your profit margins? Knowing those kind of things and being able to, to really analyze an income statement uh, and point out what the issue is. And a lot of that only comes from you looking at it with somebody who, who's been doing that for 15 years. So you guys looking at it and dr- being able to draw out the same things, that's when you know you're really learning something in business and really knowing um, what these financials mean and how to take that and then make the right decision to make the financials look better. Um, that's one thing. And then, and then, you know, one of my roles, uh, was kind of like a investor relations role. So I had to prepare, uh, the pitch decks for the CEO of GE for our, for our business segment. So being, being able to create a deck that that the CEO is going to go take to investment bankers. So be able to create a deck and then, you know, you have, you put the financials, you put a chart and then you only have room for like five or six bullets. So figuring out like for this entire quarter, what are the most important five or six things that happen in the business? And then stating those super clearly in a bullet like that. That's an important skill in terms of one, just knowing, knowing what's important and two, being able to clearly communicate what's important at that, that executive level. And so I think, I think those are just a few of the concrete things I learned, but just like really, you know, looking at financials, understanding the full picture of what's going on in that business and then knowing, you know, what's most important, what are the levers you need to pull to create the change you want to see. Man, that's a, you said something right there. And I think a lot of that revolves around a a, a mindset, like saying, okay, I I met this corporate job. Cool. Some people like, well, I hate a corporate job. I hate having a boss. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then you're just waiting for the day they can put in their pink slip. They're waiting for the day they can leave and start their business or start doing this, start building a brand and all this stuff, which is cool. Like I'm saying, I'm not shaming it because I did it. <laughs> but it's like still, it's sometimes when you look at your change, your mindset, okay, look at these functions that's happening around me, not just in your role, but look at the business, look at all these sub skills that, that you're learning as far as maybe negotiation or dealing with different contractors, dealing with third party vendors, seeing all these different things. Then it's like, yo, there's so many, this, 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 this business thing is way bigger than just, okay, yeah. just selling a product. Nah, right. it's way deeper. And I think those skill sets you learn allows you to be that much more deep once you really start your own thing. Yeah, no, and I, I think there's, you know, when you want to be an entrepreneur and build something, there's a difference between, you know, building something that maybe just, you know, pays your bills. Mm. Uh, and if you build a business that just pays your bills, you're always at risk because business is going <laughs> down. And so if it's only covering your bills, that you're in a risky business. And there's a difference between that and trying to build something transformational, something that dominates in the industry, something that lives on after you're gone. And, and to figure out how to get that, that magic and get that operation and get that what, what, what's necessary to build a business that may live on after you're gone and employ you know, hundreds and thousands of people. Um, you know, working for a company that's already do- doing that, I think is where you can get some of that magic sauce from. 
because um, it, it, it's hard to know everything, and it's hard to even think on a scale like like one of these top businesses if, if you've never been in that business thinking on that scale. And I think I think that's one thing that you know I learned a ton from working at these huge corporations is thinking in scale. Always thinking of like, okay, this is a cool product, this is a cool concept, but can this scale across the entire country? Can it scale across the entire globe? How many people really want this this concept? And so, always thinking in scale is also something that that, that I learned. Mm. Question: Why did you turn down the opportunity? I know the GE had a cast program. Like, why did you decide to kind of change gears and um and exit with GE? Yeah, so so quick background on the CAS program. They have a corporate audit staff. After you do the financial leadership program, the next step is to travel the world and audit GE businesses. So it's basically kind of a ramp up um, in the intensity. So people are working 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day, but getting to travel the world on GE's dime. And so I spent a month with them down in Houston uh, at a new acquisition, and, and I was working 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For a month straight, weekends, everything. Uh, and, and weekends I too? Paid. Yeah, bro. I, I wasn't working from 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. on weekends, but I was working at, you know, probably like, I put in like six hours on a weekend. Mm-hmm. So um, I did my thing. They actually wanted me to stay for and work with them for another month. I told them, hell no. <laughs> 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 um, and it kind of just came down to, I, I didn't want to audit. I wanted to do something a little more strategic. Uh, and so at that same time, I was talking to Ernst and Young. They, they hit me up on LinkedIn. So make sure y'all keep y'all LinkedIn profiles up to date. But they hit me up on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, the position seemed right. Finance transformation. I had the, the opportunity to go to New York or San Francisco. Um, and, I, and I always wanted to be a management consultant. I'd wanted to be that for a long time, for a few years at that point. And so, you know, I made a decision to do that. Mm. So you really didn't have you didn't really have to plan your exit or were you strategic in planning your exit? Like, how did that happen? Because I know you had a timeline. It was a timeline crunch. Remember? And yeah. they remember hit you. up. <laughs> yeah. So they, and they hit you up on LinkedIn. So did it happen by like osmosis or did you have did you have like a, a exit plan for it? Uh, I, I think it might have happened by osmosis. So they hit they hit me up and I started the interview process with Ernst Young before I even went to do my pilot with audit staff. And mm-hmm. so once I got back from Houston, I actually went back. I, I was living in Kentucky at that time, but I went back to uh, California. Um, and I had like three days to let them know, mm. let you know if I wanted to do it. Like a day or two before the deadline, I drove to San Francisco, interviewed with Ernst Young. On the way back, the guy called, partner called me and told me I had the job. So I was able to then, you know, right before that deadline, let GE know that I wasn't coming back. They weren't too happy with me, but, um, you know, I think I saw a lot of good relationships there. It yeah. is what it is. It is what it is. So let's talk about the next chapter of life, man. New York, man. Before we get into consulting, man, like how was your, how was the transition in your first year in New York? I remember coming to the apartment, man, seeing some things, man, like having some great times <laughs> in New York, man. New York was just Cali boy, Greensboro, some of your rotations were like in hick towns. Like real briefly, explain like where your other rotations were at before New York. Yeah, so GE, I was I moved right from Greensboro to Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Stayed there for about a year and a few months, and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> was there for about six months, and then yeah, after that, made a quick hop to Sacramento for a few weeks, and then moved everything out to New York. 
Yeah, man. So how was that first first year in New York, man? Getting adjusted to the, the vibe of the city, um, the exciting stuff for this city, but also the cost of living in the city and all that good stuff, man. How was the first year? Man, the first, I feel like anybody's first year in New York, you're just figuring it out. You don't really... And you don't really know anything. Like my first apartment, I, you went there, G. I don't know if you remember. I had all kind of issues. I had roaches, mice. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know that's how I was gonna be. Now, if I walk into a building like that in New York, I'm gonna know right away. I'm not staying here. <laughs> I, I didn't know. So you know, getting accustomed to that, getting figuring out what neighborhood I really wanted to live in. I lived in it when I first got there. I lived in an area called they, the real estate agent called it Prospect Park South. Anybody who came there called it Flatbush. You know, which was cool. A lot. Those areas were cool. But, um, you know, eventually I found my way to Bed-Stuy, which was, was a neighborhood I'm in love with still to this day. Was there for about four years. But, um, yeah, it, it was an adjustment. Um, just getting used to New York, getting used to the train. But it was an adventure. And, and, and I loved it. I, I really did enjoy that time of, like, constant stimulation. Everything's new. Just trying to figure, you know, everything out. So it was like. You know, one of those times where, you know, it's constant struggle, but it's just kind of a beautiful adventure at the same time. Heck yeah, man. How did how did you get accustomed to like the social scene or it was just it was just thrown upon you? Like in New York, is it hard to find? Like, how did you get hit to to the moves and shake? Is it just being in the space? Yeah, I had, I had friends there. You know, Aggies, we worldwide. So <laughs> um, there, there was cats there in, in, in New York who I knew, you know, frat brothers. Uh, friends who were already in New York, already plugged in. So, you know, I just, you know, plugged in with them. Also made, you know, new friends, too. Um, so it was just kind of that that part was 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 pretty easy. Got you. So, man, I know a lot of people when they think about consulting, they think about, oh, you you on jets. I mean, not jets, but you're on planes Monday through Friday, eating on a corporate dime like you're you're talking to some of the leading people in the world. Like break us down kind of your experience in the corporate. Uh, I mean, yeah, the consulting lifestyle and the workload. And man, and then after that, kind of just break out some of the some of the main key things you learn from it. Yeah. So I started, um, you know, some of that you said is true, but yeah. I started my, <laughs> first client was Bloomberg. Um, so every morning I get on the train, travel to uh, 59th Street uh, and go work at the Bloomberg building, which is an amazing building. They had all the snacks in the world, coffee, anything you need. They had it. And so I, I spent like three months there. It wasn't an amazing project, but it was cool. We did a procurement transformation. But mm-hmm. then after that, uh, I got shipped out to Syracuse, New York. Um, and so at that time, I was flying to Syracuse uh, every Monday, flying back on Thursday. And they were doing an ERP implementation. Um, they actually had done one that went completely wrong. So what is uh, that ERP again for, for our audience? Yeah, yeah, one step back. I was working for National Grid, which is the uh, you know largest utility in the Northeast. Uh, and ERP implementation is basically uh, the technology that runs the whole business. So everything from purchasing accounts payable uh, accounts receivable, your financials, all of the business is run kind of on this one uh, technology platform that's the foundation of the business. And so uh, if implementing a new one of those is a huge ordeal. And if it goes wrong, it's a big problem. And so <laughs> they had thousands of invoices that were like their, their customers would send an invoice and it would just get locked up in the system. It would like basically get lost and wouldn't be able to be paid out. So this meant that, you know, for their small, their small suppliers, they couldn't make payroll. Like they were 
trying to get paid by their biggest customer and they, they, they didn't get any money. So they couldn't make payroll. And, they, and their biggest suppliers wouldn't send them product anymore. So this meant the guys out in the field who were trying to fix people's power in the Northeast in January couldn't fix people's power. And so it was a real life issue that we were brought in to kind of tackle. And so that was, that was you know, part of what excited me about this role. And so I stepped in initially. Um, there were like 90 consultants on this project. Good God. Yeah, it, 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 and they were from all companies, Ernst & Young, Deloitte, KPMG, everybody was there. Um, so it made for some fun nights with all those young people there, you know, with a little bit of money to spend. But that's another <laughs> uh, so I came in as an individual contributor. And I remember there were there was a, a meeting every morning at seven where all the partners would go. Partners and senior managers, were about eight of them. Um, at this time, I was a senior consultant. So I was like a few levels below them. But I was like, you know, I, w- I want to get in that room before I leave this project. I'm going to be in that room. Um, and I made kind of that that bet to myself or made that commitment to myself. And so I just got it. I got in there, bro. And really, honestly, at first, a lot of us didn't have computer ass, um, computer access. So, cause we had to work on their computers. So I just made myself like useful by hunting down the IT guy and, and staying on top of them and making sure everybody co- got computer a- access. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got put on a project kind of with one client trying to figure out a specific scenario on why invoices weren't getting paid. We had a good rapport. We made some good progress. So then I got a couple people added to my team. Um, we started doing well. So I got a couple people more added to my team. Eventually, I had like 12 people um, working with me and on my team. I say with me because some of the dudes working on my team were smarter than me. But <laughs> <laughs> I picked really good people to join my team. Some people had like the exact same background as me from GE. And I was like, hey, you, yeah, yeah, I want him. I want him. So built a really strong team man and 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 that's where it was cool because every day we had a board we all worked in we called it the war room it was a conference room we had like poster boards everywhere with how many invoices we had had cleared and how many we still had to clear and so it was cool because you had that scoreboard every day where you could see where you're at where we take it from the excel model and put it on the on the sheet but um what what i really learned was one my management style and so I learned that, you know, when you have smart people um, and everybody has their own wisdom, you know, I know you always say everybody, you got your own genius. But as, as a leader, it's your job to figure out how to put them in position where they can tap into that genius and then get out of their way and let them run. Um, and when it's time to let them shine, don't don't step in and take their shine, put them out there to shine themselves. Um, and I found that, you know, empowering people like that and really listening and figuring and aside from figuring out how to build a team, I also learned a lot kind of on the technical aspects of uh, how our ERP system works in terms of accounts payable, procurement, supply chain, inventory management. And so I think it's important. Uh, it was an important time in my life as I learned both about management leadership and also about a new technology. So it, it was a lot of growth at that time. Yeah, man. Before we actually move on to like how you left consulting and went to LEE, because I know like it's crazy. Last 10 years, you worked at a lot of different companies, but you worked at different roles within each company. That's why I really want to touch on them all, because it's not like you had the same experience. But what was the most challenging experience as far as being a consultant and maybe a time that you not failed, but a time you're like, yo, you whiffed on uh, maybe a suggestion or maybe with a client? Like, tell us about one of those times. Yeah, I think one of the challenges for me was uh, I had to manage people who were 
much older than me and much more experienced than me Ooh, in that industry. Yeah, stay right there because I know a lot of people listening right now are in that same situation. Yeah, yeah. So I had to – there was folks on my team who had maybe 10, 15 years of experience on me, um, and they had to listen to me, young black man. So, you know, in, in some cases it worked out and some it didn't. I, I, had, I had two guys, and just being quite frank, they just wouldn't get with the program, and they, they wouldn't put the work in, and they just wanted to – you know, sit on our laptops and get on the internet all day. And I just had to make the call to to my manager, like, these guys aren't working. Let's roll them off the project. Um, and, and we did that. And I ended up having to give them a bad eval. Uh, but then I had another guy who, you know, his main thing was he had 10 years experience in power and utilities. Me and the rest of the team had none. Uh, and so, but I, I could tell he had things to offer. Uh, but it was kind of going through, like, you know, some, you know, a little struggle within himself. And so I just kind of tried to do my best to put him in positions where we asked him questions and, and leaned on his expertise and gave him projects where he can go do a bunch of due diligence and present to us, uh, you know, an entire process flow in a really robust way. And, and we took what we could from that. Um, there were times when we had to butt heads and I had to tell him, no, we're not going to go that direction. We're going to we're going to need to go this direction. And that's why. And he wasn't always happy about that. But I think he respected the fact that I was just up front and open with him. And that I also gave him the opportunity to, you know, speak, share what he knew and, and speak on how he thought. And so that was that was definitely a, a growth experience for me uh, working there and working with folks more senior than me. Another thing, another struggle in consulting in general is, you know, when you're a consultant, you get billed by the hour. And so, you know, the partners, everybody's going to look at you basically like you're the product, you're the widget. And so there are times where I was on that project for uh, over a year and a half where I wanted to leave and go work on a different project. I didn't I, in my mind. I was like, I didn't come to consulting to work on the same client for two years. I would have went and got a regular job if I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. and so I made a, a, a few rogue moves to pull myself off of that project you know, talking directly to my client, telling my client, I don't want to, you know, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to work here anymore. I've put in a lot of time. I'm ready to go do something else. And my client was okay with that because we had a good relationship. But my manager at that time, he did not like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so whether that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, I'm not sure. But that was, that was definitely a struggle, just feeling like, uh, you know, I'm kind of just looked at it as a walking dollar sign in some sense. Mm. That's crazy, man. And I think you said you said some big things there. But uh, one one question I have to ask is how do you how do you say and for instance specifically being a person of color having to lead people that are uh, that are older than you have much more experience, how do you balance between okay, making sure they 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 feel like they're part of the group but then not being a pushover? But then also, too, the other extreme is seeming like the, the angry black guy or the angry black woman. Like, how do you how do you, in your because I know you don't have the, the catch all answer, but in your perspective, how do you have that balance, though? Yeah, you know, it can, it can be tough. I think it's um, I think it's one about relationships mm. at the end of the day. At, at, at some point, we're all humans. And so if you can connect with somebody on some human level and have a real relationship with them um, before you come to that tough conversation, that tough conversation is going to go easier. So if we talk, if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody and I'm, I'm asking about their kids and really getting to know who they are as a person, however different they may be from me, 
once it comes to the conversation that gets real, and every now and again, it should get real if you guys are really working on some stuff. If you have that foundation of a relationship, that conversation is going to be easier. So I'd say that's one of the big things. And I, and I, I think it's about being open and honest early. Don't wait till things get too bad. <laughs> Don't wait till things get really bad to like blow up or, or, or blindside somebody. Try and be honest, candid um, early on in the process throughout the whole process. Yeah, nah, that's some that's some great, great, great nuggets, man. So now you kind of have a little unrest about the consultant thing. How did LEA or LEE come even to fruition, and why? I know you mentioned it a little bit beforehand, but why such a drastic change? Yeah, so you know, I was working at Ernst and Young, and my plan for my career was to go to the top of the ranks in business, become you know you know, really wealthy, have a lot of capital and then go do, do things that I cared about. Um, but around this time, this was around the time that Mike Brown got killed. And, and you know, I was out in the streets in New York. You was, was out in the streets, in the streets. Yeah, I was in them streets. And it was just that, that energy, that, 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 that realness that like, you know, this is just really a bunch of humans out here just pouring out how we really feel and trying to make a difference. However, way we know how, that feeling of, you know, fighting for something that mattered. I wanted to be able to do that with my entire day. I didn't want to spend, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours of my day doing something that was, you know, whatever, and then go do something I cared about. And so I started to look around and see, okay, what job can I get that I can, you know, do work on something I'm passionate about all day. So I just got on the internet and I started looking around and I, I was I was led to leadership for educational equity. And so something I was always passionate about was education. Um, I'd always, you know, ever since I got to college, even before then, I always coached, mentor, did whatever I could. Like, I care about the youth and I care about making sure every kid has an opportunity to reach their fullest potential. And they know that they have the opportunity to reach their fullest potential. So I cared about that. But then I also had grown passionate about honest politics and having politicians that led from a place of integrity versus a place of I need to please my donors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding leadership for educational equity who put whose mission is to put former educators in political positions to impact education through politics and policy uh, felt 100 percent right to me. They had an opening on the strategy position. Um, I interviewed and it was kind of one of those things like every now and again, I interview for a job and it's like a match made in heaven. And so that that's how I felt. And, uh, you know, that's how I got to Lee. Yeah, man. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on Lee, but I do want to say you had a lot. You working at a nonprofit, definitely different than uh, <laughs> than the consultant gum. So I looked at like on even in your bio, you had around four different big responsibilities. So, A, how did you even attempt to try to manage those type, all those like dealing with social media campaign, but dealing with engagement and dealing with the finance. Like, how do you even dip like um, work on that time management and just that process and having all those goals and metrics and that? And yeah, tell us about that experience because it seems like a lot. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, it was, and I think I was working a lot of hours for for part of that time. There was even a time where I was kind of working. So I, I worked, <laughs> I worked my regular day. Um, and, you know, I had one manager and then I built a relationship with our executive director who I thought was, you know, one of the smartest people I ever worked with. He came from McKinsey. That's part of the reason. That's the other reason I chose Lee is because the executive director and their um, 
VP of Strategy and Operations, both came from McKinsey. So mm-hmm. I knew the organization with some chops. And so I developed a relationship with our executive director. So I would be working, um, you know, after work hours with, with him on stuff or under his direction on stuff. And then later at night, I also worked with uh, there was a, my boy Michael Cox was running for New York State Senate. And so I was kind of his right hand man in the beginning of that campaign, getting everything set up. And, and for me, um, I don't really think I, I guess it was helpful to have like, OK, between these hours, I work on, you know, my regular job. It's kind of marketing or, or whatever it was at the time. And then these hours I work on this and then these hours I work on that. But that was literally the only time management. Other than that, I was just putting a lot of time in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I love doing that because that's where the growth comes from. Like I learned so much about political campaigns and how politics works uh, in New York City, you know, working on that campaign at nighttime, which is not even a part of my job, but it's kind of related to my job. And I learned so much about uh, digital marketing and Facebook ads and IG ads by working with my executive director on kind of like a road project. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was it, it was a lot of stuff at that time, but it was, you know, a time of extreme growth. And that that's what I'm here for. And what what area as we as we kind of move past LEE and then kind of go into where you're at now from your time there, if you had to narrow it down and if it's one is too hard, you can do two. But what area do you think you grew the most in? If I had to say one hard skill, I'd say marketing uh, and digital marketing. Uh, the first, you know, my background is in finance and business and stuff, but it was the first time I got to lead a project that was focused solely on marketing. And so I got to work on our our member outreach strategy where we reached out to 30,000 members across the country, tried to engage with them. Um, and so yeah, I got to see the magic, of, you know, in the new age of digital marketing, you know, your campaign tells you if it's working or not. (laughs) This campaign to that campaign and this subject line to that subject line and this image to that image and it'll tell you what's working. And so, you know, learning that that's how marketing works in this day and age was like super magical for me. Um, And so I say that and, and, and just also working with my executive director, just the way he thinks and deconstructs problems and always approaches it. You know, a lot of times when you have a problem, you approach it with, you try and jump to the answer right away. But the smartest people, that's not how they do it. They, they approach it with a completely open mind and try and explore every avenue before they jump to the answer. And I think just kind of working with him and understanding how he thinks about issues really helped me a lot, too. That's great, man. So how did you even figure out about where did St. Hope and how did it going back home? Like what was the first block and then expired you to kind of go back home as we transition? Uh, you know what? It was working on the campaign with Mike Cox. And I realized, you know, I was meeting a lot of people in Brooklyn and New York on the political scene. And, and one day I do have, you know, some sort of political aspirations because um, I think there's, there's power and impact there. But, um, you know, I was just meeting so many people and I was like, man, I'm going to build a whole network out here and then eventually move home and have to rebuild the entire network all over again from scratch. Um, and I just felt like that the work that I was doing in the community, it's just, it, it, so, for some reason I was just drawn to do that work back at home and also start to build my network back at home. And so, um, the trigger, and the, the final trigger was, uh, somehow I came across a USC MPA program. I always wanted to get my MPA at USC 
And then I found out that they had a campus in Sacramento. And I said, okay, this is perfect. I think this is like a little indicator for me. Mm. And question two, and I was going to ask this later, but why MPA rather than the MBA? I mean, your, your track record suggests, okay, GE, couple years, then consulting. Track record would suggest that, yo, you're going to go get a top 10, top five, top two MBA from a great university. And so why, why MPA? Why not a joint program? Like, why was that decision uh, made? I can't, I can't, I don't have a good answer for you right there, Gene, because I'm, uh, I'm still, I actually put my MPA on hold, on pause, and so um, I'm, I may end up going that route you're talking about, or I may end up going back and doing a dual thing, but I will say, I'll just share this from my experience, anybody looking at an MPA or an MBA, if you, if you know you want to go into politics and you want to go work for a senator or be a senator or something like that, MPA is probably the route for you. But if you want to have, at least this is my my experience right now, if you want to have a career that, you know, is a little bit more dynamic um, and can go, can go different directions, maybe the MBA is the right route. And so that's why I put my MPA on hold for now. And I may go back and, and go the path that my, my, my history suggests I should go down. Mm. So what would that, what kind of timeline would that look like though? I know this. I know you don't really not. I mean, I wouldn't say you're not a planner, but it's not like you have. I don't know. Yeah, I know you have five year personal stuff, but I don't know in your corporate or your your career. But what is that? What would that look like? You just don't know. I don't know, bro. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I think I'm gonna try and spin this to my advantage. I think because I'm I'm growing like a new big passion for technology. Uh, you know, some call it the fourth industrial revolution that's going to come with AI, machine learning, mm-hmm. blockchain, the Internet of Things. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking I want to dive into that a little heavier. And so, you know, literally just yesterday, I was kind of thinking about what could it look like to do an MBA that's like deeply focused on those technologies or the application of those technologies. Um so and I, I I don't know what the timeline looks like, but I always knew when I went back to school I wanted to be like I didn't want to do it just to check the box, and that's kind of how I started to fill in my MPA program. And so you know once I get to a time and a place where I can feel like okay I feel like I I should and I need to go to school to gain these things, that's when it's gonna happen. And I, and I'm starting to get more comfortable with the fact that life is long, man, Lord willing. And so, <laughs> You know, if I'm if I'm 32 and I'm at Stanford getting an MBA, then I'm 32 at Stanford getting an MBA, and I'm gonna come out and kill the game. So, it's uh, I I, I guess that pressure of you know you want to get your MBA like within these years, I've kind of I'm I'm starting to alleviate that for myself. Now that makes a lot of sense, man. And I know we're coming short on time, but I did want to ask a couple couple questions on Saint Hope, man, because it looks like you've done. A lot reading by this thing over the over your last year, year and a half, man. But not to get too in, in, in deep into the specifics, but what has allowed you in this role to be able to attack change and growth? I believe probably a little bit faster in this role than you have in your other roles because it says reading the bio in six months time, you've been able to implement new systems, integrate a whole different lot of stuff. So what 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 was the what was the shift? Yeah, so something I always thought about was I wanted my own ship. Mm-hmm. My own ship, something like I completely could control. Um, and that's what one of the things I liked about the opportunity with St. Hope is I was going to be running the whole finance department. Uh, and I think my CEO has done a good job of, you know, giving me guidance when it's necessary, but really just kind of let me run and let me go and just 
kind of kind of do my thing. Um, and so I think that's really what it was, just getting to a position where I just kind of own an entire function. And once you own that whole function, you know, how fast you move is really up to you. And so I got to really push the tempo. Um, and it was a really exciting six months to a year putting in that new system, putting in a new team. Um, and with that came a bunch of growth, a bunch of learning. But I, w- I would say what allowed me to do that was just the role that I selected kind of owning an entire function. And it, it's been a great experience for me. Man, that's yeah, that's that's probably a great experience, but also has a lot of great challenges, man. So in this new role, you're the CFO now. You're doing a lot of stuff, implementing a lot of change. Like what is the what's the challenges look like on this level as opposed to when you first started? Yeah, I, I think on this level now it's it's kind of like more macro challenges. So at St. Hope, we our, our mission is to revitalize Oak Park, Sacramento through public education and economic development. Now, economic development, that that term right there, what does that really mean? So in Oak Park, Sacramento, like many other communities across the country, uh, we're facing gentrification. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they when they started this in 1989, economic development uh, at that time, there was no gentrification. And so what does the strategy look like now, um, now that there is money coming into the neighborhood? Uh, but now that prices of rents and, and housing are going up, people are having to move out. Like, what what is our position? What is the most strategic and focused things we can do to serve the community that's been here um, versus just, you know, creating opportunities for folks to come from the Bay or wherever to move in here? So I think that the, the challenges are much more macro and much more more nuanced and um and nobody knows the answer i think that is one of the biggest differences right now there's nowhere we can go and get the answer on exactly what we should do Mm -hmm. and to me that's what's so exciting but it's also a big challenge Nah, I can I can see how that is a huge challenge and uh before we move into our one of our last rounds the future round I know, I know, you, and you can talk about it if you want, but I know you dibbled and dabbled in like the restaurant business, man. So can you can you share with the audience a little bit about that experience? Can you talk about that? Yeah, so it, it started. <laughs> it started because we have St. Hope. We we have a, um, you know, we have a lot of property in Oak Park, and we had one building where we wanted to put a restaurant. Um, and so, you know, I was just reaching out to my network, seeing. I knew one of my. I ran into an old friend right in front of that building. And he told me he had been a chef for the last 10 years. So I just hit him up. It's like, Hey man, we got this opportunity. Uh, what's up? And so he, he was all in. And, um, so we went through the plans and eventually it didn't work out. Uh, I think, I think rightly so it didn't work out, but ever since then, you know, I just kind of been partner partnering with him to create these different really, really experiences or dining experiences, but it's bigger than that. It's really just an experience for people to come together, break bread, uh, eat some food that they probably have never ate before in a way that they've never ate it before. And it, it's really been a fun experience for me to come back and just kind of help build something. And also just, you know, connect with folks here in Sacramento. And then also we had an opportunity to run that dinner in Costa Rica and connect with folks from around the world. And so I, I think just speaking on that real quick, I think it's important um, in life just sometimes to do things just to do it. You know, you never know what can come of it. and You never know, you know, the relationships that you build, uh, and the time that you have, that stuff means a lot too. Yeah, 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 man. That's that's huge. And speaking on that, as we before we move to the future round, I know as we we've talked about this whole interview, 
the career, the ups and downs of the career, moving into all these different locations, all that, uh, all that stuff. And uh, all this has transpired before you even reach 30, man. You're approaching 30 in a couple, in a couple weeks, man. So, (laughs) so like as you reflect, and this is, it don't need to be too deep, but if you reflect, man, on your, on your, your, your twenties and the ups and downs and whatnot, man, like how was the experience? trying to grow a career but also trying to live your best life without like societal timelines on it you feel me because that's it's it's probably hard because you know societal timelines suggest yo it's 30 bro like what are you thinking about wife you thinking about the kids you thinking about uh, uh, houses and you've been just moving every 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 couple years and you it's just a lot of stuff going on so how do you balance that because at one point you could be like yo I'm learning, I'm growing, do all this stuff. But then there's the other part, like, yo, but what about your personal life? What about this? So how do you, how do you, uh, how do you manage? Yeah, one, I think at a, at a certain point when I was around 25, I think I just rejected <laughs> that notion of this is how, you know, my life should go. And then also, I, I think I've just focused a lot, you know, we talked a lot about career growth and things like that, but I've also focused a lot, you know, on personal growth. And, and, and shoring myself up as a person and facing, you know, my insecurities and and, and just trying to be a better human. Um, and so, like, when you're doing that kind of work, all these societal norms, people trying to tell you how you should be living your life, it really means nothing because nobody knows the right, perfect way to go through this human experience. And so as long as I'm growing as a person, um, and, I, and I'm being more, and I'm loving myself more and loving others more uh, each day, like that, that kind of the societal norms thing is don't mean anything to me. Man, that's huge. I was just talking to a friend of the, yesterday to be exact, and she was talking about men and all this other stuff. And I'm like, first, I'm not the person to talk to about this stuff. Like, I don't know why you're having this conversation. Like, we need to, I, I, we need to, we need to re, re, re look at this relationship we have right here, but that's neither here nor there. But, uh, <laughs> I was rapping with her and it's like, you can, you can achieve a lot of stuff in life. Um, especially in the business, business space and the career space and you can get a lot of achievements. But in a day, if you're not, if you're really not growing a person sooner or later, you're going to get exposed like either with your family with your friends who you really are like if you don't continue to grow and become a better person that stuff like i said it it, it doesn't matter i hate people just say oh that uh sense like doesn't matter blah blah blah. it just just doesn't matter just if you like if you are growing as a person you success oh yeah it does matter like who wants to who wants to be the best person in the world but not really not say even financially but just have not success in what they're doing like i don't know if anybody wants to have the best integrity the best honesty the best character and their life is just in shambles like i don't and, and plus it don't, it don't happen like that right it just doesn't however we meet a lot of people that put so much focus on that career so much focus on them getting that selfish 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 and now we have a world where there's so much inequality now like it's just crazy yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's the real balance that I have to try and strike versus versus like, you know, career and societal norms. It's more like me trying to strike the balance between career growth and personal growth mm. and figuring out like because, you know, I believe in working hard and putting a lot of hours in at work. But also, you know, you got to have some time for yourself to, you know, go to yoga or do some self-reflection or, or work on a relationship you want to work on. Or, or, or spend time with your loved ones. So I think that's that balance right there is the one that I that I think about more. Yeah, because if you don't, 
Then the only balance you gonna have is when you hurt, when you laid up somewhere, and then people seeing you, but you can't even like move the way you want to move. Like people just taking care of you. It's like, hold up, nah, that ain't what it is, man. So as we transition to our last uh, round before the, the rapid fire round, man, what's next for you in 2018, man? What's the future hold for you, man? So 2018, I'm I'm really, you know, been trying to focus in on a few things. So really, really, the biggest things right now in my mind are, you know, continuing to do a good job in Saint Hope and really. Mm-hmm. Figuring out um, what does economic development thing mean? One thing we're kicking around is potentially launching an incubator where we give folks capital and the skills necessary to launch their business. We always also take a little equity stake. Um, but another thing I think I talked to a little bit about that I'm really excited about um, is a podcast that I'm launching in conjunction with GrowWire, which is a platform of Oracle. Uh, about the fourth industrial revolution. So we're going to, I think a lot of people don't understand these technologies that are going to change our world dramatically. Um, And so what we're going to do is just basically have entrepreneurs and developers tell their story of how they're implementing whatever new technology they're working on. Um, So I'm really excited about that too. Yeah, definitely. When that comes out, we'll definitely make sure we plug it and have some links up there on the show and make sure people know because even myself, uh, even when I, anytime I talk to Manny or a couple other guys I've had on the podcast before, just people I know in that space, there's a, there's a huge, 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 huge revolution coming. And a right. lot of people, a lot of Americans are just unaware and it's going to hit us. And if you're not prepared. Right. Right. And if you have business if, or if you're interested in starting a business, you need to start thinking about these technologies because if you're going to want to compete, you're going to have to implement them. And so that's kind of the role that I want to play is, you know, I'm, I'm no super tech guy, but I read about it and I like it and I love it. So I want to kind of just be that bridge between, you know, the people that are really in this technology and the people who need to kind of just understand the application of it. Yeah. Say less, say less on that, man. And uh, when it's all said and done, man, how do you think you want to be remembered? Ooh, um, I want to re- be remembered as a solid human who was honest, uh, full of love, uh, and basically gave everything he had to the world and humanity. Yeah. That's it. Say less, man. And uh, all right, so let's jump into the culture change round, man. It's a rapid fire round. I got five rapid fire questions. Hopefully, I get five rapid fire answers, and then we wrap it up. All right. For sure. Let's get it. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you have never received? Ooh, uh, love yourself first. Mm. Okay. I let I let that I let that breathe. If you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? follow through mm-hmm. uh, and I would take away the fact that every my room's messy my desk's messy my car's messy everything always messy <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you can take away that fact you just get you a maid man Not, uh, like a, like one of them services <laughs> seriously they're, they're fishing man you talking about all this AI all this other stuff I guarantee the sub subscription service out there for like $50 a month you can get like a, a weekly clean or something like that yeah I probably should look into that <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite book and why off top autobiography of Malcolm X. And I'm going to say, uh, uh, this is random, but he opened my eyes to humanity and religion just because I grew up uh, super Christian. But Malcolm X, you know, was a great man, especially at the end of his life, his life, super enlightened, great man as a Muslim. And so 
that that kind of broke a barrier for me in terms of, you know, um, humans and like love and like who deserves what and religion. And um, it kind of just opened my eyes and, and opened my mind to a lot of things. Amen. Uh, what is your biggest fear? Not reaching my full potential. If you were the president, and this is the last question around before we ask like the coach change question, but if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? That's tough, bro. I I would probably I would probably ooh, I would focus on our criminal justice system and our education system and revamp those. I can't give you a specific thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, nah, that's that's a lot. It just those two things are so <sighs> yep, but then hey, let's exp- let's let's continue to uh, expand life. So we got people in jail for longer, and have people in <laughs> other stuff, have people get gentrified for longer, people in the hood for longer, people in food stands for longer. Like I can preach on that, I'll preach. Uh, but uh, yeah, because I, I don't see, yeah, I don't know if Elon, yeah, that's that's either here or there, man. But oh yeah, bro, we we don't pick up. <laughs> <laughs> but man alright man uh, we wrapped up the culture change round man as always everybody to come on the show I, I consider a culture change agent in their own right just doing their things in the community doing their things in their own life man just trying to push the whole culture forward man so if you could change one thing about society most specifically our African American culture what would it be and why uh, off top I'm gonna focus on I'm gonna, I'm gonna say mental health I think um I think, you know, mental health is something that as African-American community, we don't really understand that it's important to focus on. And it's important to, you know, first learn for ourselves how to manage and monitor and think about our mental health. And then we definitely don't know how to teach that to uh, younger folks. And so I think it so much starts with your mind and your mind being in a healthy, positive state. And if your if your mind is not in that healthy, positive state, it's going to be tough for a lot of other things in your life to go well. So I, w- I would say start right there with mental health and, you know, shifting the culture on that. Yeah. And I think that's a a, a much wider conversation because uh, it's, it's very hard to kind of get to the nitty gritty of, OK, so what does that look like? Does that mean more access to psychologists or does that mean even though, but when you're access to psychologists, are there, is there better and more up, uh, different trainings to deal with different people? And I, I, even though I don't think that's the case, I think there's still, um, there's so much value in that, but there's so many stigmas that has to be detached and it's right. crazy. Cause I mean, in, in the effects, like you said, have way bigger implementation outside. Like look at the rap music, the culture now. I mean, uh, J. Cole hit on it a little bit, but a lot of what we see in our, especially our younger artists are because of, them um, not being liked in school, getting picked on in school, feeling like outsiders, and they make outside. It's just it's and then why? So why? I know children always. A lot of children have anxiety. A lot of children go through a lot of stuff, but it just seems like in this day and age that so many students and children can relate to so many things. You like y'all, y'all can relate to that. Like what do you what do you mean? Like they're going through all this stuff, right. but if they have no outlet, like I can I can really imagine right now, go to your Title One schools, even some of your charter, your prep academies, any K through twelve institutions, and you have you can if if you can count out specifically ones that are not like private, how many students have visited a psychologist or talked to a mental health professional from K through twelve, it'd be the percentages would be astronomically low. Yeah. Right? 
Af- yeah. even adults, specifically people of color. And it's like, but they're dealing with the most trauma. You feel me? That's, yeah. Isn't that the craziest thing? And I'll say it's it's a lot of us who haven't talked to a mental health specialist yet, and we should have, or we should be. Mm-hmm. And that might be the bigger problem. Yeah, yeah, cause it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then, then there comes the, the, of course, the big elephant in the room, accessibility. And I think, but I yep. think our insurance providers have done for me, they do have insurance, have done a, a good job. There's some accident past that. And I'll, I'll get some more correct information on the show one of these days when I interview somebody from the Intel <laughs> space. Uh, but I do believe it's like the copay is a lot lower now that like you have to have access to or be available to have like a mental health professional. Cause back in the day that wasn't included in the regular insurance, but let me not speak specifically on that, but that's what I believe. I think I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm like 99% sure on that, yeah. but there's so much in that space to be explored. And we definitely got to do our, our due diligence as far as exploring that, man. But yo, where can people find more information about, about the upcoming podcast and make in, 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 in no, brief side note, you can put, you can say like this podcast is probably not going to go out within the next maybe month. Who who knows? Maybe month, two months. So you can, if you haven't even created it yet, you can go ahead and, and mention it. But where can we find out more information about you, your podcast, what's going, what's going on, St. Hope, and how can we support and just learn more about what you got working on? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Instagram, last name, love, has been like that since 2009. Um, so that's where you can catch me. But the podcast is going to be, um, you can find it i4.0.com that's i a uh, number four p t zero dot com okay cool 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 so we'll make sure we keep up to date man what you got shaking what's the next wave and all that good stuff man so from the bottom of my heart man i just want to say thank you for giving us well over an hour of your time man just sharing your complete journey sound bites um advice and all that good stuff man i, I knew you had stories but you had the stories like riddle right in your, right in your head man so i was definitely impressed by that yeah g i've been waiting to do this so thanks <laughs> for having me on here man i've been watching you watching the growth uh, I love the podcast, so I'm just super happy to be part of the family now. Ah, no doubt, no doubt, man. I just, I just can't wait to see how it evolves in 2019. I mean, God willing, 2019 forward, man, and just how we, how we can evolve and grow, support one another, man. And like I said, I've always been a fan, man. You're like a big brother of mine, man. Continue doing what you're doing, not only for um, the community, but also for the world, man. Like I think you're, you're you're on your way to having worldwide impact, man. So continue growing, continue loving, and most importantly, continue to keep changing the culture. All right. All right, thanks, G. All right, no doubt, no doubt. So, Minority Trouble is Nation. You already know what to do. Do two things, and two things only. One, make sure you leave a review. And two, like I said before, change the freaking culture. Good night.